Bibi Fahodier, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. A Bibi Fahodier, the day's date is August the 9th. 6261. We're still dealing with COVID. A thousand Americans are dying a day. Surprisingly, football star, NFL star Odell Beckham has intoned that the owners don't see us as human. Of course, we recognize that Herr Fuhr condoned the orange Caligula cut the pandemic response team in 2018. LeBron James called NFL owners old-time white men with a slave mentality. Beckham cites that there are 80 people in a locker room, contrasting this from NBA hoops. Suppression of concussions, the white balling of Colin Kaepernick, Beckham says that he feels like a zoo animal. This is the real status of the not for long league. Some of the games that people play. This is the African Liberation Media. I'm Gullah Jack, aka Russell Swilly, here with brothers Macaru and Amos. Gentlemen, take it wherever you want to take it. Well, Gullah Jack, uh, I, I never thought I would probably say this, but in regards to the Odell Beckham Jr. situation, um, I actually agree with some of the words uttered by Stephen A. Smith. And I know that's ironic because normally I would not agree with anything, or mostly anything he says, but he made a good point when he said that the NFL has given players the, the, the option to opt out of the season uh, because of the coronavirus. Several pl- players have already chosen to do so. So Odell Beckham Jr. is complaining about a situation that he's choosing to participate in, actively participate in. He's complaining that the, that the, that the that the owners are forcing him, or he feels like some type of zoo animal, which essentially means you're being forced to do something against your will. But they have the option not to play. So mm-hmm. why doesn't he just say, "I'm not going to play this year. I'll sit out and I'll come back and play next year." Yeah, several players have opted out. Uh, the star running back from the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, he hadn't expressed his motive for opting out, but he has. Uh, but that's a very good question. I guess the thing I was struck by was a guy who normally, uh, you know, is known for his obnoxious behavior for him to make that type of observation is was uh, <laughs> something that definitely caught my attention. Mm. I mean, last when last seen, Odell Beckham was in the LSU locker room after the championship <laughs> <laughs> making a spectacle of himself. Yeah, I couldn't take Odell Beckham serious when I saw him come out of the hot tub with that guy talking about a sexual healing. Oh my God! Okay, well, Woo. Lord have mercy. Mm. But um, it's we getting close to election time. It's August now, and many of the elections across the continent are also taking place, getting ready to take place in several countries. You have leaders who have been in in office for a long time that are being challenged uh, by younger opposition and. In some cases, this is leading to some violence taking place where protesters and other people who are trying to uh, speak out for their candidates or have rallies for their candidates uh, are met with some violence from police and government uh, officials. And this is happening in Uganda. Uh, This is happening, which has also been in some reports, in Zimbabwe. Uh, what we could say is this. Uh, many leaders across the continent, some of them need to be replaced. 
um, because they have upheld the a lot of the corruption that has put a stranglehold on the growth of the African continent. And they have been in partnership in many cases with Western countries, uh, with Europeans, and they've pretty much been a blockage to African freedom and sovereignty and liberation uh, for a very long time. Uh, right now in Uganda, Museveni has been the leader of Uganda for, I believe, going on 37 years now. And uh, we know the history of Museveni um, and how he came to power, along with his buddy, Paul Kagame. Uh, two of these people who I believe uh, should be replaced on the African continent with people who have more of a... Uh, I hate to use the word pan-Africanist, but a more of a African-centered, um, African liberation mindset. In Zimbabwe, we've heard reports that have come from the Zimbabwean government that the U.S. ambassador to Zimbabwe, who is Brian Nichols, uh, has been doing things to undermine ZANU-PF through the funding and the promotion of antagonistic behavior uh, through the opposition party. And Brian Nichols, for those of you know, who, who do not know, is not a European. He's not a Native American. He's not an Asian. He's not an Arab. He's not an Indian. He mm. is a what you would call a black African-American mm. who has been sent to be the U.S. ambassador by the United States so they're sending a black person who we hear say that, you know, we should vote in black people the same way we talked about voting in Barack Obama, the same way we talk about voting in all of these other black politicians, expecting them to do something different or to do things that would benefit black people, we would think, or benefit African people that we would think. But the majority of these people are self-hating. And when I say self-hating, they don't hate themselves individually, but they hate Africa and they hate anything that is African. And when it comes to the United States agenda on a geopolitical level uh, in, in regards to the United States foreign policy, in regards to Africa, they're willing to continue the same exploitation that Europeans have attributed to or, or that's been attributed to Europeans that, that they have done to the African continent for years. So just because we put a black person in these positions doesn't mean that we're going to get a different result. Uh, President Managagua called Brian Nichols a thug that needed to be removed because of his behavior. Now, there's a lot going on in Zimbabwe. You know, you have the situation where there's this, this new agreement that the Zimbabwean government has came to an agreement to pay $3.5 billion back to the white farmers as compensation for the land that was rightfully, and I say again, rightfully taken back from them by the former president, uh, Robert Mugabe, now, Menengagwa believes that he can check off the list of all of the Europeans' demands to try to get these sanctions lift, lifted off of uh, Zimbabwe as a country. Uh, we know that in the current financial condition that the country is in, they don't have the funds to even pay this money that's been proposed in this agreement. I don't know if this is a ploy by Menengagwa to try to get what he wants and then back out, which I don't think that would be a very smart move. But in any case, um, I think it's a mistake because history teaches us that you can never get to a point where you can trust any agreement with any European leader and expect for them to uphold that agreement 
in good faith. We've seen Our them shame. back out of many agreements. We've seen them back out of many treaties. Uh, we've seen them back out of many contracts. Just like in Zimbabwe's own personal history, uh, the former administration experienced the Europeans, Tony Blair, backing out of a deal, an agreement that they had for them to receive compensation uh, for the land that was taken. So why would you feel that doing this would somehow lead to the sanctions being lifted? It's not. The sanctions are not going to be lifted until that entire regime is replaced. That's the Europeans' ultimate goal is to replace that entire regime. Then they will release those sanctions and move on with a leader that they want in office. So this was kind of uh, not only disheartening, but mind-boggling to me why Menegago would do this the same way when he came into office originally before he was originally elected he opened up the elections to be observed by other countries including European countries where in the past Mugabe had had, had uh, restricted them from coming and observing these elections so he thought that by him doing that 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 would lead to them lifting the sanctions and it did not so uh, those are my thoughts. Uh, like I said, right now on the continent, we have many elections going on. We have elections going on also coming up in Tanzania where President Magafuli is going to uh, run again for president. And right now, I think that's one of the brightest spots on the African continent. I was reading an article uh, just recently that talked about there was a, a, a minor a small scale miner in Zimbabwe in, in uh, Tanzania, excuse me, who quote unquote struck it rich. How did he strike it rich? Well, he found one of the rarest gemstones in Africa known as Tanzanite. He found, I believe it was a 13 pound stone of Tanzanite. And in Tanzania, they have it set up to where if you mine, you can't sell these these um these minerals and these stones to foreign investors or to foreigners. You have to sell them to the Tanzanian government. So that keeps the wealth with the Tanzanian people. So the Tanzanian government cut him a check. He found two, I think it was two stones. Uh one check he got cut was for one point four million dollars. Another check was for, I believe, a little over two million dollars. Um but this shows you what you can achieve when you operate under a fair uh, agreement with your own people, where your own people can make money by doing the mining, and then they're going to turn around and the government can then keep that wealth within the government and use that wealth to then build up the Tanzanian country. So I thought that that was extremely positive, and it's one of the reasons why I still say that Magafuli is one of the best leaders, if not the best uh, leader on the African continent right now. We have other leaders like Abi Ahmed in Ethiopia who are also doing positive things on the continent. And we always talk about the issues, like the issues that's going on in Zimbabwe right now and in Uganda. But we still have to highlight some of the positive things that we're seeing so that we can then emulate those things across the continent in other countries. Arshay, 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 definitely. Yeah, and the uh, the brother that found the uh, Tanzanite was talking about how he was going to uh, use his income to help build up his uh, his community. So you know, there's a there's a real sense of uh, you know what uh, Julius Nyeri initially uh, instilled into the uh, consciousness of the people of Tanzania when he talked about Yuhuru Ya Ujama, freedom and socialism, and, you know, the concept of communal wealth versus individual wealth, this, the, the willingness to 
to help your fellow brothers and sisters in believing that if one advances, all can advance. All for one, one for all. So that's that's very positive. It is uh, Black August, and uh, as the month proceeds, we'll be talking about uh, many of the events that are uh, coming up. Uh, Marcus Garvey's uh, birthday coming up on the 17th. Uh, the uh, boys came on uh, rally led by uh, Bookman Duty and Cecile Fatimone that that launched the the latest uh, the iteration of the Haitian Revolution that resulted in independence. But Black August, the initial focus on Black August, uh, Black August was on our political prisoners, and the foremost political prisoner in the minds of a lot of people was a revolutionary brother. Field Marshal George Lester Jackson. And I was uh, doing some research and I found some words that uh, Comrade George Jackson, who was assassinated while in prison, um, said that uh, I think are extremely relevant uh, today. And given some of the, a lot of the things that are taking place in our community. And he said, settle your quarrels, come together, understand the reality of our situation, understand that fascism is already here. Fascism is already here. We have numerous examples of that. That people are dying who could be saved. You know, last week we talked about young Janari Ricks and, you know, over the past few uh, episodes, we've talked about a lot of the other children, like one-year-old Sincere Gaston and in uh, Chicago and uh, seven-year-old Natalia Wallace and eight-year-old Sequoia Turner in, in Atlanta and four, 14-year-old Pharrell Bradley killed uh, not too far from where I live here in Charlotte. Uh, so he's saying that, that there are people, that people are dying who could be saved, that generations more will die or live Poor butchered half lies if you fail to act, if we fail to act. Do what must be done. Discover your humanity and your love of revolution. Pass on the torch. Join us. Give your life for the people. And giving your life for the people doesn't mean going out committing revolutionary suicide. Giving your life for the people means dedicating your life's work to do as much as you can within the capacity of trying to survive here in the uh, bastion of imperialism, the wilderness of North America. So I just wanted to highlight uh, those words uh, from uh, Comrade George Jackson, particularly uh, settle, settle your quarrels, come together, understand that fascism is already here, that there are people who are dying that could be saved. And as the month uh, progresses, you know, I'll focus in more on particularly a lot of the uh, rebellions that took place, uh, you know, during the, the, the month of August and, and other events. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that uh, as a starter to our conversation about Black August. I would uh, interject that generally speaking, the, the price of freedom is what keeps you a slave. And uh, secondly, uh, to echo the comments made by good brother Glenn Ford over at Barr, you know, I mean, I loathe Trump too, but fascism didn't start with Trump. Uh, Ford brilliantly articulates the fact that uh, fascism accommodates diversity. And thus you're talking about the concept of neo-fascism versus old-style fascism, uh, which embraces the iconography of the old confederacy, the Klan, and so forth and so on. But you have this neo-fascism that has been taking place at least for the past 40 years. Uh, Brother Amos Wilson uh, talks about this, and clearly this is constantly made evident or made synonymous with uh, what uh, Brother Neely Fuller describes as the refinement aspect 
of white supremacy, a change in form, but not a change in essence. Old wine skin must make room for new wine, not same old wine, different uh, wine skin. And uh, this is what we find um, that is so deceiving. Like Malcolm X said, don't stop suffering, just suffer peacefully. Neo-fascism being made synonymous with lynching a brother or sister from the low tree. Go ahead, brothers. Okay, uh, I, I had a little glitch. I'm, I, I got a little a thunderstorm working over here. Is everybody still okay? Can you yeah, hear me I, good? Yeah, I, I heard the storm, and I also felt the tremor early this morning. Yeah, I missed the tremor. I saw some people outside. Uh, it was up in uh, Sparta, uh, North Carolina, uh, in that area. So must have been a pretty powerful uh, tremor to, to be felt, you know, all the way down here in Charlotte. My room started swaying, brother. Did it really? Yes. Yeah. I, I thought, I, well, I was losing my balance. I didn't understand the basis of my dizziness. And then wow. I heard this wo- roar that sounded like a washing machine. And, uh, you know, cooler heads prevailed. I collected my senses and came to the realization before it was even reported as to what had happened. Wow. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Right off Central Avenue is where I was this morning between seven and eight o'clock. AM. Yeah, yeah, I I heard the people outside talking. I I really didn't know what was going on. Uh, my daughter said she thought she was dreaming. I I, I don't know how I was missing since missing missed it. So uh, since I was awake, uh, I was in the process of going outside to pour my libations, which I do on a daily basis, and didn't he didn't even know what had happened until uh, sometimes later. Uh, uh, some positive news. Out of uh, Minneapolis, uh, picked up on this week. There's a group of uh, brothers and sisters called the uh, Minnesota Freedom Riders, and they launch community patrols when the police essentially just pull back and stop patrolling uh, the black community in Minneapolis after the uh, George Floyd rebellion. An NAACP leader with the spirit of Robert and Mabel Williams, two of our most esteemed ancestors. Come on. Black folks with guns. Rises in Minneapolis with police absent and crime rising. The community formed armed patrols to protect its people and property. And I just made a little editorial comment. No marches or profane speeches were required to do this. A group of black gun owners responded to a call from the local NACP in late May to patrol the mostly African-American West Broadway business district for nearly two weeks, the Wall Street Journal reported. Jamil Jackson, a leader of the Minnesota Freedom Fighters, which advocates uh, for black gun ownership, told the journal the group kept the area free of looting and arson without firing a shot. We were fired on, he said. But we weren't going to return fire into a dark street. Just think about that. Just think about that. The discipline that these brothers had, they weren't going to run the risk of firing into a crowd and killing an innocent person. The group, which has 45 members with a variety of backgrounds, including some who have military training, has since been asked to protect community events and has formed a security company. Crime has surged following the protests and and, uh, rebellion in the city. Minneapolis saw 75 shootings in June, more than triple the 24 shootings during the same period last year. In the first half of July, there were 43 shootings compared to 29 in all of the previous July. The city council approved its first permanent cuts to the police budget. $10 million will be cut from the $193 million budget. In answer to protesters' call to defund the department, around a million in funds will be shifted to cure violence, a program that works to prevent things such as retaliatory shootings through community engagement. So we had these brothers out uh, marching, uh, not marching, out patrolling, uh, very disciplined in, 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 uh, in the videos that I saw, and uh, protecting the community. And, you know, this shows, this shows what can be done, uh, sort of reminiscent of the deacons uh, for defense. Many people may have seen the movie starring... Uh, 
Forrest Whitaker. Uh, very reminiscent of that, and just just some really really positive news, uh, you know, from the the brothers and sisters. And to think about it, think about it. now. This was an NAACP leader, like I said, in the spirit of Robert and Mabel Williams. Hopefully, she won't be kicked out of the organization, uh, suspended like Robert Williams was when he uh, formed a self defense uh, group to protect the uh, Newtown community uh, down in Monroe, a few miles here from Charlotte, when the Ku Klux Klan Night Riders, uh, you could call them the second iteration of drive-by shooters after the mafia, although the mafia was relatively selective in terms of their shooting, uh, but the Ku Klux Klan would ride by and shoot into homes. Uh, I remember Fannie Lou Hamer saying, that uh, she had to move from house to house in Ruleville so that they wouldn't know where she was because they would ride by shooting. And on one particular night, there was two students, two sisters, staying in a home they thought Fannie Lou Hamer was in. One sister was 20, the other was 18. Both of them attended Jackson State. Both of them were shot by the Klan. But, of course, there were people that were shooting back also at the Klan, and that's one way to get them to stop. So, I mean, this, this is a very positive thing that, uh, that took place or uh, is taking place right now in, in, in Minneapolis. Uh, we don't, these types of things generally don't get a whole lot of media attention because they don't want people to know that, that we have people like this in our community. Uh, so our job at African liberation media is to report on things like this. Go By ahead. All means. Yeah, I know we talked about that. Um, we talked about that a few weeks ago about us policing our own communities. So I definitely, I definitely think that that's positive. That's always positive because the change starts with yourself first. And the moment that we can handle our business internally will make it even more difficult for any of our enemies to oppose our will. So I think that I think that's always positive. Absolutely, absolutely synonymous with one of the uh, ten stops articulated by the ancestors uh, Francis Crest Welsing as well as uh, Neely Fuller. Uh, appreciate that uh, reminder of the brilliance of. George Jackson, um, which brings me to a point that was articulated by the great uh, Russell Maroon Schultz, who was in greater confinement in a Huntington, Pennsylvania prison, when he has written that there were several brothers who would have accepted the heroic task of attempting to break George Jackson out of San Quentin, but who Newton vetoed that... Um, Desire, of course, we had had success with the uh, release of Asada Shakur. Uh, it is in the minds of many, uh, this would have been a great contribution to African liberation. Uh, Schultz has stated emphatically that George Jackson had the superior theories. Um, so I think to whatever degree we can uh, count that as one of the um, tragic mistakes in moving the um, African liberation movement forward and not having George Jackson among the masses articulating his ideas. Right. And, you know, and we know that his brother, uh, Jonathan, only 17, and some other brothers did uh, put forth the effort to get him out. And, you know, they, when they took hostages from the courtroom, they, they, I'm sure never in their wildest imagination did they, um, did they imagine that, um, that law enforcement would fire into a van that was occupied by a white judge and some other white hostages. But, you know, I was having this conversation with uh, Brother Jasper yesterday up, up at, the, uh, at the mail's place, and Europeans are willing to sacrifice individuals if they need to make a statement to stop any kind of black revolutionary 
activity. They have no problem sacrificing a judge, a governor, a mayor, or whoever, because their position is that all of these people are replaceable. See, it's only us to get hung up with, oh, we lost this person and now we can't go no further. No, 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 no. Look, the, the great lesson in my mind, you know, because, you know, I am an elder, is the assassination of John Kennedy. United States had four days of mourning and then what? Business goes on as usual. Johnson uh, got the message, you know, <laughs> don't continue along these lines, which he, he, was, he wouldn't have anyway. But don't continue along these lines that uh, that Kennedy is on uh, in terms of, you know, what he's doing with the Fed and what he's doing with uh, Israel and what he's doing with Vietnam. So they, they had four days of mourning and business went on as usual. So I'm sure Jonathan, the young 17 year old uh, courageous warrior, had no idea that they would actually do that. But that just goes to show you the extent that they would go to to stop any kind of black revolutionary activity. Well, you know, brother, that's kind of consistent with um, what the brilliant brother Neely Fuller articulated when he talked about um, the four stages of white supremacy. Uh, <clears throat> another piece that he offered beyond the nine areas of human activities, uh, the first stage being black showcasing. <laughs> you know, as, and whatever years ago they used to get away with Joe Lewis and Lena Horn. Now this is full of talking, mm. but but anymore it's going to take hundreds of black people. Uh, you can name names, maybe Kanye West, or you fill in the blank, and thus it creates the image that racism is non-existent, or on the verge of uh, losing its potency, when in reality it's testament of its strength. The second point he made was ethnic tailoring. And of course, we have Kagami in uh, the Congo. We have what's taking place in Flint, Michigan, et cetera, et cetera. The poisoning of the water. Mm. And then the third phase is black dislocation, eminent domain, Liberty City, Overtown, keep you from acquiring the second mortgage, keep black people from developing strong, stable communities and families. And then the fourth phase is white sacrificing, which uh, white supremacy operating on the basis of profit and loss. Invariably, if you're dealing with asparagus in the grocery store, you're going to find some asparagus that is not going to be fit for consumption or that will spoil. But relative to the overall surplus of, of uh, asparagus that can be saved, well, then, you know, the profits far exceed the losses. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thought that was very interesting as expressed by Brother Fuller. Yeah, definitely. And another faction of that point is that Europeans, we oftentimes attribute so much unity to them. We always say that they're so unified. But what we have to realize is that they are different groups among them as well that hate each other mm -hmm. and that are willing to sacrifice each other to your point about uh jfk many people believe that it was the israelis that had him assassinated mm -hmm. so even though they all have white skin right a lot of times in, the, in their own groups they don't even like to deal with each other but because they contain so much power it looks through the smoke and mirrors, like they're all unified. But even in when it comes to us, yeah, I mean, even in history, the French have always hated the British. Mm -hmm. Hundred year war, thirty year wars, yeah, seven year war. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Catholics have, have have always had issues with the Jews, right? So, I mean, we're dealing with a very it's like a spider web. Yeah, you know, I think what what I think what it, what it comes down to almost, and this is what a lot of people don't understand, you know. They, they get all, you know, people got all excited about, you know, Barack Obama being elected uh, president. But of course, you know, Gullah Jack and I had heard Jamil El Amin, H. Rap Brown, you know, interview in 1969 saying it, it, it's not the individual. This is a mm -hmm. system, which Fuller and Wilson told us also that the military industrial complex, the Wall Street oligarchs, 
But to your point almost, uh, what happens is that they have different squabbles and sometimes violent as you know they Europe, Europe the European continent has probably had more wars more destructive wars than any other continent uh, you know fighting amongst one another they are in uh, fights to determine what is the best way to maintain their global domination okay and you know just like uh, you know the uh, you know after the Moors uh, you know, uplifted the Iberian Peninsula, which then became a disaster for Africa. Uh, the head of uh, European imperialism was uh, Portugal and Spain. Uh, but, you know, in 1588, uh, the Spanish Armada decided to attack uh, the British because, you know, the British had pirate ships and they were causing a lot of problem with uh, their commerce across the Atlantic. Uh, as a matter of fact, that's how the first 20 Africans arrived uh, in the United States. They were on a uh, Portuguese vessel bound for Mexico when they were intercepted by British pirates who demanded ransom. And part of the ransom was 50 Africans, 50 of our, of our ancestors. And the first 20 arrived, uh, you know, at Port Comfort, an interesting name. I'm sure it was no comfort to the Native Americans that once occupied the territory when the Europeans killed them and took the land. And then the other 30 arrived. But uh, in 1588, uh, the British Navy and the Spanish Armada uh, fought a, a naval battle and Spain was defeated. And then the head of imperialism moved uh, to England, uh, you know, for pretty much, you know, pretty much until uh uh, World War II. So they do have these squabbles. And they are squabbles not only uh, between countries, but even within countries, you have sometimes people saying, okay, this is the best way to manage the American empire. And, mm -hmm. you know, Trump has his perspective on how to manage the American empire. Obama had his perspective, you know, more, more in line with, you know, the, the, the traditional, the, the, the neoliberal uh, perspective. Trump has a, his own perspective. <laughs> I don't know what kind of category you can even put it in. Bush, the neocon perspective. You know, Clinton, once again, you know, neoliberal. So far, so they do have these squabbles. And so, and some people think this is something that um, we could perhaps take advantage of. Uh, but I think it's something we certainly need to be aware of. Uh, Waycross, Georgia. Mm -hmm. Um, Ware County, uh, which I believe is adjacent to uh, Glenn County, where Ahmad Albury was killed. In police state America, a traffic stop leads to police shooting into a car of black teens, a 15-year-old being brutalized, and he and his 16-year-old brother being arrested. And uh, my ALM contributor to Hero Farrell Bradley sent this to us. Note. This is in Ware County, where the D.A. George Barnhill said regarding the killers of Ahmaud Albrary in nearby Brunswick, we don't see any grounds for an arrest of the three parties. So we had this, this traffic stop. We, we need to see the dash and body cameras footage, you know, to see exactly what happened. You know, why a traffic stop? Why were they being stopped? from the beginning, I mean, they had basically driven into their neighborhood in rural uh, Ware County. Dominique Goodman Sr. said his five children, ages 9, 12, 14, 15, and 16, were in the car headed back home from a local Walmart when the officer started to follow them. According to the three youngest children, the officer didn't turn on his lights uh, to pull them over until they had pulled into their own neighborhood. The 12-year-old said the older teens were scared and told the three youngest to jump out of the car and run home to get their father. But when they got out, the officer started shooting. The 9-year-old told News Jacks 4 at least seven shots were fired and one bullet whizzed by his head. It went right past my face, the boy said. I could have gotten shot in my face, but the shot hit the swing. So going back to George Jackson, fascism is already here. Now, what precipitated two police officers to start firing into a car of black teenagers? 
you know, in Ware County, Waycross, Georgia. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, the younger children did make it to the house. The father and the mother ran down uh, to the incident. When they got down there, they had the two uh, older teens, the 15 and the 16-year-old, uh, on the ground. The 15-year-old was brutally beaten. We have a picture of, of his face with blood streaming down his face. Uh, you know, on our, on on our Facebook page, and they now face several charges. The 16-year-old and the 15-year-old. Apparently, uh, the police found a gun in the glove compartment. The gun the gun was legally registered to the mother. According to the father, the children actually took the car to go to Walmart without even, you know, maybe while the parents were asleep or something like that. But whatever they did. You know, what were the grounds for the police stop? They said they weren't speeding. They were simply trying to return home. And, you know, we got to see uh, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation has said that the 15-year-old attempted to pull the, a gun from one of the officers. That's why he was beaten. We know these people tell lies. Lying speech is their native tongue. So here we have another uh, incident uh, right in the area where... Uh, Brother uh, Ahmad Albury was killed, and based on the uh, mentality of the DA, I don't expect any charges. I don't know what can come out of the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. I don't know, but uh, the community is uh, uh, alarmed. They've already, you know, had one community rally. I imagine that there'll be additional protests. Uh, but the main thing right now, we need to see the dash cameras and the body cameras to see what precipitated. Uh, you know, this uh, this particular act of brutality where some young black children could have been killed. Go ahead, brothers. OK, I. Uh, <clears throat> I'm still somewhat uh, perturbed over. Uh, Sick Willie's comments here recently at John Lewis's funeral where he had the audacity to try to determine for us, you know, who's the hero and who are sheroes who we should revere, uh, functioning like a slave master. I mean, at a funeral, no less, this guy um, out of Hope, Arkansas, felt that uh, he's in a position basically to uh, dictate or determine the parameters of our struggle. And a young lady sent something uh, to my Facebook page today. Why Bill Clinton, sick Willie or slick Willie, denounced Stokely Carmichael. And I was reminded, um, interestingly, of something that Dr. King said in his classic uh, letters from a Birmingham jail. He talked about the white moderate being more devoted to law and order than to justice. Mm-hmm. A negative kind of peace is no peace at all. True peace is achieved not through an absence of tension, but by the presence of justice. You know, King went on in his baritone, articulate style. Uh, he, he, he wrote that uh, lukewarm acceptance was always more bewildering than outright rejection. And he identified what the stumbling block is in our uh, sojourn, even for reforms, it's the white moderates. Hmm. It's the white moderates that passed the largest crime bill in history, hmm. inflated the number of police uh, on our streets, increased the prison sales. The uh, auction block has become the, the, the slave block or the sale block. The auction block has become the sale block. Uh, it was he, as well as some of the other white moderates, that invented 60 new reasons for the death penalty. We can go on and on talk about the 1033 program. You're you talking know, about Sick Willie. Sick Willie. We're talking about uh, the Iraq War. White moderates voted for the Iraq War, over 500,000 dead. 1776, uh, white moderates signed on the dotted lines not to free African slaves. <laughs> and, uh, you know... It's like Malcolm said, you can stick a knife in my back nine inches, and if you pull it out three inches, you haven't done me any favor. And the only suggested reform is to ban the choco, not necessarily community control of the police. So in many instances, uh, as Matthew Cook 
uses the term a Faustian bargain. The white moderates have made a deal with the Klan and that faction in the dual suppression and subjugation of black people. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, Kwame Ture said that uh, liberals are for any change that doesn't affect their status and their power and their privileges and their prestige. So that 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 means that uh, they all, as you say, they only want the absence of tension. Yes, sir. And the fact of the matter is that people without power will never experience the presence of justice. Mm. And that's why and that's why. They chose to uh, sick Willie chose to attack Brother Ture because Brother Ture was focused on African liberation, African power. And John Lewis uh, had become very useful uh, in terms of maintaining the American empire with uh, incremental reforms wherever he could get them. So, but, the, you know, the real sad thing is. Sick Willie is doing what Sick Willie does. I call him the Don of the New Jim Crow, the God, mm. the Don of Dons of the New Jim Crow. If the New Jim Crow was a crime syndicate, he would be the Godfather, Vito <laughs> Corleone. Uh, but what does it say about us when we keep inviting these people, you know, into our presence? What does it say about us? I mean, what does it say? It said Go ahead, me. brother. Almost. Come on, almost. Well, I was going to say, it said to me that, I mean, they are who we thought they were. I mean, look whose <laughs> funeral was. It would be different if it was if it was Amos Wilson's funeral and Bill Clinton was there. Then I would be appalled. <laughs> I would be upset. I would be angry. But it was John Lewis's funeral. So I could see why uh, Bush, Obama, and uh, Clinton were all invited because John Lewis was their homeboy. That was their boy. That was their uh, servant. He served up under them, up under those presidents. And he did, like you said, things that were useful to them so that they can uphold the system of white power, the white power structure. So it was no surprise to me at all that that they spoke at his funeral. Um, The surprising thing to me was that knowing that this would be aired nationally, internationally, he had the audacity to say what he said about Kwame Ture and think that black people would not be able to observe the devastating comments that he was making in that comparison. Right. Come on. And even even the Negroes among us were able to see through that. Right. So maybe that's a positive sign that uh, some small positive sign that, that that at least most of us are waking up when even you have the breakfast club talking about uh, Bill Clinton's comments uh, at John Lewis's funeral so <laughs> maybe that's one positive thing you can take from it yeah yeah, and, and that's one thing that um, Dr. Therese used to talk about in dialectics everything has positive and negative attributes right you know, one of the statements that he was known to make. Um, okay, while we're on the subject of psychopaths and psychopathic uh, racial uh, personalities, uh, I happen to be uh, watching uh, one of the evening news programs, uh, you know, one day this week, and uh, or it might have been one of the cable news shows. I, I can't remember now what, what I was actually watching. Uh, but apparently former First Lady Michelle Obama has... Uh, started a, a podcast and on the podcast uh, uh, one of the things that she was talking about was that she was depressed and uh, she said that uh, she had been battling a form of depression not just because of the quarantine but because of the racial strife mm. and just seeing this administration watching the hypocrisy of it now consider the source talking about hypocrisy Day in, day out is dispiriting. <laughs> I, I, I don't see Trump being a hypocrite myself, but I mean, that's what she's saying. And she said, I have to say that waking up to the news, waking up to how this administration has or has not responded, waking up to yet another story of a black man or a black person somehow being dehumanized, 
hurt or killed or falsely accused of something is exhausting. And it has led to a weight that I haven't felt in my life in a while. Now, this, this is a lady that's married to a person who has killed hundreds, if not thousands of innocent people via drone strikes, firing hellfire missiles into uh, funerals, uh, somebody, a uh, grandmother picking her uh, cabbage in Pakistan, a 16-year-old American citizen sitting in a restaurant in Yemen. And she, I said, I posed the question, I said, I wonder, if, was she never depressed based on the actions of her husband or like a psychopath, they would, you know, just shield it from this. I mean, it, you know, just doesn't penetrate the psyche because there's no moral conscience there. I mean, while black children were being gunned down in Chicago and this guy was out raising money for Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars, and a viol the violence interrupters, they cut the funding. Obama didn't raise one dime to uh, you know, stop the slaughter of black children. Uh, did absolutely nothing in terms, in terms of that. And she's now depressed because of what she sees the Trump administration doing. How many, how many police did the Obama administration charge with violating the uh, civil rights of, you know, Trayvon Martin, of Michael Brown Jr., of Eric Garner, uh, mm. John Crawford, uh, Tanisha Anderson? I mean, I'll how many? Glad. How many? What's the answer? One, two? I mean, you know, <laughs> it, it was just something that they didn't do. And mm. she's upset about the current administration to the point that she's depressed. Mm. I mean, the, 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 the level of hypocrisy uh, is incredible. And the fact that people were feeling sorry for her, mm. you know, what about all of the children that have been killed or their parents have been killed as a result of drone? When they killed, uh, our Licky's son, uh, he was sitting in a restaurant in Yemen eating dinner with his 17-year-old cousin, and the U.S. government claims they were trying to kill someone else, and that uh, this 17-year-old American citizen, I think he was born in Denver, and his uh, the 16-year-old American citizen and the 17-year-old cousin and the other people in Yemen who were killed, they just happened to be collateral damage. Mm. They just, you know, just that's just par for the course. I mean... We were trying to take out an enemy combatant. So I just found it uh, just, uh, and of course, I went on the on the offensive and, you know, got the usual responses from the Obama files. But, you know, that's what I, that's, that's what I expect from them. But I'm, what I always tell them is, can you refute the facts? I'm posing a question. Mm. Was she ever depressed by the actions of her husband? Right. No. So, hey, there you have it. I mean, you know, th th that's, you know, that's, you know, that's what we're dealing with, you know, in terms of, you know, these black celebrities who benefit and have benefited and continue to benefit uh, from the uh, crimes of the American empire. They commit crimes themselves on behalf of the American empire. They have an umbilical relationship to Wall Street oligarchs and the and the uh, military-industrial complex. And one of the things Dr. King said, he said, "We the American people must have the capacity to vote into oblivion politicians who cannot detach themselves from militarism." And Barack Obama was a militarist from day one. And she's depressed by whatever she claims Trump is doing. Well, it's all a ploy to push to get 
Joe Biden elected. You get people's emotions riled up because a lot of people follow Michelle Obama. Uh, you know, I watched her Netflix uh, special. I forgot the name of it, uh, but it was a documentary that that basically focused on her. And um, to your point, I think it's highly hypocritical for Michelle Obama to talk about this administration. But then at the same time, she stands by and supports a former president and his wife who have been charged by the people with participating in human trafficking and sex trafficking and pedophilia. <laughs> and her own husband in the WikiLeaks emails that were released from John Podesta's email account stated that her own husband flew in over $65,000 worth of pizza and dogs to mm. the White House for a party. Those wow. two code words, code words that have been identified by the FBI as code words for pedophilia. Mm. So you're talking about the racial tensions in the country. You're making advertisements saying bring back our girls mm. but yet you will stand by a former president who is participating who had a close relationship with jeffrey epstein who was obviously murdered so that he would not reveal the secrets and you support that but you speak out against this mm. it's hypocritical and it only shows it only shows that when you become this is why you can never trust a politician because when you become a part of either party and really not even just the party the deep state when you become a part of the deep state you have a full alliance to the deep state so even if there was a democratic candidate that came along that was anti deep state president obama and Hillary and uh, excuse me, uh, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, they will all oppose that particular candidate the same way. You remember when, when the first time Donald Trump ran for president, which former president, Republican president said that he would not support Donald Trump? George Bush. Why? Because he's a part of the deep state. So he, the deep state was bigger than the Republican Party. Mm hmm. So that yeah, that's where her comments are coming from. Her, her comments are coming from an alliance with the deep state, and it is their agenda and their mission to make sure that Donald Trump does not get reelected. By exactly. all means, by exactly. all means, any yep. means necessary. No, yep, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, your your husband by being the the chief uh, aggressor in the in the war on the uh, sovereign government of Libya in 2011 helped to facilitate the conditions that has led to the enslavement of black people. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a black president aligning ideologically with people that have the uh, mentality of Nathan Bedford Forrest at the Fort Pillow massacre and aligning with them, overthrowing the, the, the uh, sovereign government of Libya and creating conditions where now black people are being held in slavery. That's why I call him the black enslavement president. Are you, mm. are you not depressed by black people being in slavery? You have to be a psychopath. You have mm. to be totally insulated from any type of, 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 of moral conscience, uh, you know, feelings uh, of concern. I mean, how do you sleep at night? I mean, it's you have to be totally detached from the reality of things that are going on. And we have to detach ourselves completely from people like this. Totally. Totally. Mm. No compromise. Totally detached from them and what they represent. Uh, you know, one one other thing I, I want to say this because this is a bombshell. 
there's a looming catastrophe of homelessness in the United States. And this is another bombshell that's about to hit the black community. Uh, CNBC uh, did this interview and they asked, how does the eviction crisis brought on by the pandemic compare to the 2008 housing crisis? And the, the person they were interviewing said, we have never seen this extent of eviction in such a truncated amount of time in our history. We can expect this to increase dramatically in the coming weeks and months, especially as the limited support and intervention measures that are in place start to expire. About 10 million people over a period of years were displaced from their homes following the foreclosure crisis in 2008. We're looking at 20 to 28 million people in this moment between now and September facing evictions. So this this is there's a we, we already have a crisis of homelessness already. There's a lot of homelessness already that are affecting our community. You know, our communities are being gentrified. And now, uh, you know, with these uh, moratoriums on, uh, you know, rent and all of these things expiring, of course, the uh, unemployment, the federal benefit of unemployment has uh, has expired. And and uh, Pelosi and McConnell uh, can't agree on on a on a on a new stimulus well, Trump decided he was just going to use executive action I don't know what legal capacity he has to do it but uh he said he was willing uh, uh the the former uh the CARES Act gave uh, people who were unemployed $600 in federal benefits Trump said he was willing to give them 400 McConnell only wanted to give them 200 now this is in addition to what you're getting from the state but what you're getting from the state is based on what you were earning and some people may not even be uh, getting uh, $200 a week, uh, you know, from the state, depending on which state you're in. I know North Carolina is the worst in the country. And so, you know, th this is where we are. But, I mean, I think we just need to be aware of this because what is this going to do? This is going to exacerbate the tension in our community. It's going to exacerbate, you know, the violence, the stress, you know, death at an early age. I mean, this is what this is what's coming down. And, you know, th th there's th – th that there's never been a, a more pressing time for us to, to 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 try to develop a strong movement for the empowerment and liberation of African people, and it has to be connected globally. Last comment: uh, We're talking about the extension uh, for increase. Unemployment has been under attack. The problem clearly is the CEO greed. You know, when you got a minimum wage of seven twenty-five and you're getting paid six hundred dollars a week, well, then you know, just simple mathematics. And if you want to uh, enhance the incentive for people to return, you know, increase the minimum wage, and then they'll return. Exactly. You know, know, to, the, uh, to the extent that they have jobs to return to. To the extent that they have jobs to return to, and the people who are getting six hundred dollars a week it was found that uh, their spending went up 10 percent and that's what you want to uh maintain or to create a viable economy so you know if there's greed out there uh at the grassroots level the majority of the greed we know instinctively is uh coming from wall street's executives hmm. i wouldn't call it you know necessarily i would say survival i mean you know, the, some of these people are finally earning a livable wage, which which is a which is an indictment of this capitalist economy. Absolutely. Well, definitely, uh, definitely in times where we have to stay aware of what's going on around us. Uh, we're coming up on in this own country. We're coming up on uh, the election here. Uh, so uh, this is going to be a time where you know, whites will be fighting against each other. Uh, to try to see who the next leader of the white power structure is going to be. Uh, so as African people, we have to keep our head on a swivel and pay attention to our surroundings at all times and avoid the chaos uh, that's going to take place and not get caught up in uh, Democrat versus Republic or Republican, excuse me, but realize that this is a system of a white power structure that was built by individuals and those individuals and those ideologies, uh, those individuals passed down that ideology to individuals that live today that are still carrying it out 
And that is not going to change no matter who is elected. I say this every time there's a president is going to be elected. Um, so with that, this has been another edition of the African Liberation Media. You can always visit our website, AfricanLiberationMedia.com and check out all of our podcasts. And also check us out if you're listening or watching this on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel and like and leave a comment. A BB for Hodier. Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not jobs, because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes does not represent power. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.